You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Life Groups Minister, Del Matthews. Hi, I'm I'm a volunteer here at St. John's and today I'm going to read the Bible to you today. Um, We are reading from Matthew 21 verses 33 to 46. It says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and let's take his inheritance. So they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard camp comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, let's just take a closer look at that story that Ella has just read for us. There's a lot that we're familiar with. I mean, we know about vineyards, we know about renting, um, building, all that sort of thing, but it's a little bit different, isn't it? Now, none of us expect that the tenancy laws and the building industry back in ancient Israel look like ours. Now, Jesus was in the temple courts. He was surrounded by people. It was a busy time of the year. Passover was coming up in a few days and there were lots of visitors. There was also Jesus' disciples and the chief priests and the elders in the crowd. Now, the religious leaders had just questioned Jesus' authority, but he didn't give in to them. He just continued telling stories, including the one we've just heard. And in today's story, Jesus hints at who he is and where his authority comes from. He introduced a landowner. As we would expect, he would have been rich. And this landowner planted a vineyard. Jesus certainly knew his stuff. He knew that for a vineyard to succeed back in Israel at at that time, it needs a wall and a watchtower to protect it, mostly from thieves, and a wine press to process the fruit. There were still a few um, landowners that small operators that operated vineyards, but there were also some bigger operations like this one with absentee landowners. Most everyone in the crowd would have remembered that passage in Book of Isaiah 
where the vineyard is the people of Israel. The vineyard owner is God who tends the vines and with loving care and does all he can to protect it. So was Jesus talking about the Israelites in his story? Jesus told us this vineyard was rented out to tenants. Now, they would have had good incentive to make a go of it. See, the more fruit they got, the better their own profits. There wouldn't be much fruit for the first few years, though. By the fourth year, they could be expected to have the vineyard in full production. But that didn't stop the landowner sending his servants to collect the rent. Now, we don't know how much the contract was for. Tenants usually paid had to pay a portion of the crop. Those guys could have been paying anything up to 50% of the crop. It seems like high rents are nothing new. You would think that in the first year or two, it wouldn't be worth trying to collect the rent. But then there was that law saying that if the landowner didn't show up or send his delegates for three years, the tenants could inherit the vineyard. Maybe the tenants had that law in mind when they beat the, the landowner's servants. And that was an unexpected twist to the story. Murder was just as serious a crime back then as it is today. Only back then, a murderer could get the death penalty. Nobody would think of murdering the rent collectors, even if they hated paying rent. And more than that, <clears throat> those tenants have totally insulted the landowner. Attacking the servants coming in the name of the master back then was tantamount to attacking the master who sent them. Their crime was serious. But where was that landowner? Well, he sent more servants. He gave them a second chance. Unheard of. But the tenants beat and murdered the second delegation of servants. Those guys were dangerous. Surely they can't get away with murder a second time. But Jesus told us the landowner gave them a third chance. Now that's outrageous. Those tenants deserve the worst kind of punishment. But Jesus said the landowner sent his son to give them another chance to pay the rent that was due. He thought the tenants would respect his son, even though they had shown absolutely no remorse or respect for the landowner's representatives so far. Was this landowner mad? Or was he incredibly forgiving and kind? Was he right in thinking the tenants would respect his son? Well, no, they killed him too. In their twisted thinking, the tenants believed that if they killed the heir, they would inherit the vineyard for themselves. But it doesn't work that way in any culture. If you commit murder to gain an inheritance, you immediately forfeit any chance of getting that inheritance. After the story... Jesus asked the religious leaders a question. When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? I can't imagine those tenants getting any more chances. The religious leaders in the crowd didn't think so either. They gave Jesus the obvious answer. Justice would be done and those tenants would be punished. The landowner gave them three chances but they wouldn't be getting away with rejecting the landowner and murdering his representatives and his son forever. The landowner would lease the vineyard out to new tenants. But Jesus hadn't finished yet. 
He asked the religious leaders if they had read the scriptures. Well, of course they had. They were the teachers of the scriptures. Jesus quoted Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23, a passage that the religious leaders would all be familiar with. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Jesus seems to be mixing metaphors a bit. Are we talking about vineyards or building projects? The religious leaders knew that Psalm 118 was about the Messiah or Saviour the Israelite people were waiting for. The Messiah would bring in the kingdom of God. And Jesus quoted the bit about the stone, the bit that says the stone the builders rejected would become the most important stone in the whole building. The stone they thought was just not going to work, the one that didn't look right, didn't seem to fit and be strong enough, turns out to be the very one they needed. Now, building practices were different to ours. The cornerstone turns out to be the stone that held all the others together. Everything else was lined up against it. Now, rejection is a common theme. The tenants rejected the landowner's son and the builders rejected the most important stone for their building. There is a link between the vineyard story and the building stones. Now, Jesus didn't tell stories for pure entertainment. Those religious leaders understood the meaning. They knew what Jesus was getting at. But to make it clear to the rest of us, Jesus spelled out that the kingdom of God would be taken away from the people of Israel and given to a people who would produce fruit, just like that vineyard was taken away from the bad tenants and given to new ones. The vineyard in Jesus' story was the people of Israel, just like the vineyard in Israel. The landowner was definitely God. But what about those tenants? Well, the religious leaders knew Jesus was talking about them. They were the bad tenants. God had shown amazing patience and kindness towards Israel. Time and time again, he sent prophets to warn the people of Israel and urge them to turn back to God. The religious leaders rejected the prophets, even killing a number of them. And they were plotting to do the same with Jesus. Now, if we flip back a couple of pages in our Bible to Matthew chapter 20, we read of Jesus and the disciples on their way to Jerusalem. And Jesus made it really clear to the disciples that when they reached Jerusalem, he would be handed over to the religious leaders and they would condemn him to death and hand him over to the Romans to be flogged and crucified. But on the third day, he would be raised to life again. Jesus knew what was ahead of him. Now, in the story of the bad tenants, Jesus hints at the same thing to the religious leaders and the general public. Now, from our vantage point, it's clear to us the son in the story is Jesus himself. He is the son of God. And this was the first time that he hinted that he was the Messiah the, the people of Israel had been waiting for. As the son of God, the vineyard owner, he came with the authority of God. 
What might have seemed like mixed metaphors by quoting Psalm 118, Jesus is telling his audience this story is about a, vine- about a vineyard uh, and, was a, and that he was the Messiah. Like the prophets said, he would be rejected. He was letting the religious leaders know that he certainly had the authority to do what he was doing and he knew of their plot to kill him. But just like the stone the builders rejected, even though the religious leaders were about to reject him, Jesus would be exalted and given the most important position in the kingdom of God. So is this story just about the religious leaders and the people of Israel at the time of Jesus? What has this story got to do with us? Well, when the landowner did return to get and, and get justice, he handed the vineyard on to new tenants. And in verse 43, Jesus says the kingdom of God will be taken away from the religious leaders and Israel who rejected him and given to a people who would produce fruit. Now, the new people he refers to are not another nation like the nation of Israel. Jesus was looking forward to the church, to us, his followers. So this story has a lot to do with us. In this story, the landowner sent two delegations of servants and finally his son, but the tenants rejected them all and even killed the son. And when it comes to building, the builders had had to choose the right stone to be the cornerstone. They could easily reject the best stone. This story reminds us that there are two responses we can make to Jesus. It reminds us of the consequences of each response for us today. But just like Jesus' original audience, it is not always easy for us to accept Jesus' message and authority in our lives. And the first response we can make is to reject Jesus outright, just like the bad tenants rejected the landowner's son and the builders rejected the stone. Some people are very decisive and vocal about their choice to reject Jesus. They may claim to be atheists or choose to follow another religion that doesn't follow Jesus. But most people just ignore Jesus and choose to live their lives their own way, even if they believe there is a God. So ignoring Jesus in our lives is still rejection of him and his authority in our lives. Now, Jesus makes it really clear that continual rejection of him right up to the end, whether by deliberate rejection or by ignoring him in our lives, has consequences. In asking us to choose Jesus as the cornerstone of our lives, he's asking us to accept him as the authority that our lives are oriented around, that everything else hinges on, and that is the most important person in our lives. And that can be a difficult choice. Our culture is constantly asking us to look inward and to live our lives our own way. We're encouraged to reject the direction of outside authority as we choose how to live our lives. Just as a cornerstone resulted in a building that was solid and aligned properly, choosing Jesus in our lives is choosing to live our lives the best way we can. Now, it's clear from this story that about the bad, bad tenants and from the rest of the Bible that there will be a time of judgment when Jesus comes again. 
See, another problem we can have with Jesus saying those who reject him will be judged and suffer the consequences is that we can have a difficulty accepting that God would punish people who don't follow him, you know, people we know and love. We have no difficulty in hearing the bad tenants were punished severely. I mean, after three chances, we all feel justice needed to be done. But when it comes to people that we love, you know, good people, it is much harder to accept that God would judge them. Doesn't that just sound cruel? What about a loving God? Well, yes, God is both judge and loving. In this story, we learn that God is patient. When Peter was writing about the time when Jesus would come again and when judgment would happen in the second letter of Peter, chapter 3, verse 9, he explained it this way. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God gives us all multiple chances to turn to him. He shows his love through patience, through giving us many chances to turn to him. A couple of weeks ago, Joel spoke to us about God's outrageous grace, giving us multiple choices to turn to him when we don't deserve it is an example of God's outrageous grace. The only people who will be punished by God are those who repeatedly reject him, who reject God's outrageous grace right to the end, just like those bad tenants did. But there is an alternative response to Jesus. The opposite to rejection is acceptance. And it's never too late to accept Jesus and the forgiveness he offers us. If those tenants had turned around and paid the rent to the second lot of servants sent by the landowner, or if they'd shown respect to the son and paid the rent to him, their rejection and murder of the previous servants would have been forgiven and they would have retained the tenancy. Now, we've all rejected Jesus at times, most of us through simply ignoring him in our lives. He is so patient and loving with us all and wants us all to come to him in repentance. Repentance is a complete turnaround. It's about acknowledging I'm wrong and in being wrong, I've rejected God. But with his forgiveness and enabling, I want my life to turn around. By accepting Jesus, we are included in the kingdom of God. By accepting Jesus, we are choosing to have Jesus as the cornerstone of our lives. It's about accepting Jesus' authority in our lives. Historians and archaeologists tell us that the cornerstone was not a foundation stone hidden away underground. It was not like a plaque that just tells you who built the building and opened the building but, it, and, but has no function. It was the stone that held the whole building together. It held authority since every other part of the building had to align against it. When Jesus is our cornerstone, he won't be hidden away and forgotten about. He will be prominent in our lives. Our relationship with him will shape everything else we choose. He will be the one we give most importance to in our lives, in all aspects of our lives. 
Now, Jesus said he expected the church, those who had chosen him as cornerstone, to produce fruit. So what does fruit in our lives look like? Well, when Jesus chose Israel as a nation to be his people, he expected them to bear fruit in two ways. Primarily, he expected them to live lives worthy of being called the people of God, to be obedient to his commands, worshipping God. He also expected them to be a blessing to the nations around them. God promised to bless the Israelite people, but he expected them to pass on that blessing to others. He expected them to have a positive influence on the nations around them so that the other nations too would turn to God. But ancient Israel failed on both counts. They did have some periods in their history where they wholeheartedly followed God and lived lives God expected, but they repeatedly turned away from God. The fruit Jesus is referring to and expects in our lives is the same fruit that was expected of the Israelite people. Just like the Israelites were expected to live lives worthy of being chosen by God, Jesus expects us to live our lives like citizens worthy of being in the kingdom of God. And he expects us to be a blessing to those around us. Bearing fruit is about growing in Christ-likeness right down to the very core. It is not just about being a good Christian or a good Anglican. It's about having a real heart change. Now, there are a couple of problems we might have with that idea. Firstly, there is the concern that if we become more like Christ, won't that mean suppressing our real selves? Jesus is not talking about becoming someone else. He's talking about being fully alive and living the best life we can. It's about aligning our lives to Jesus, the cornerstone. Only a building that has the cornerstone in place will hold together and be a usable building. Another problem we can have is just not wanting to change. We want murderers and the like to change. We want the people around us who are difficult to get on, to get on with to change. But mostly we're happy with our own lives and we don't want to change. If we are unhappy with ourselves, it's usually with something on the outside. You know, lots of people are unhappy with the way they look or wish they were better at something. But most of us don't think about our character needing changing, about changing on the inside. And character is what shapes how we respond to life's experiences, whether they are good or bad experiences. Last week, Maddie spoke to us about character, and I'd encourage you to listen to her talk again to get a refresher on character and its consequences. See, God's outrageous grace extends to his ongoing work on the inside of our lives to make us bear Christ-like fruit in our lives. He works at the character level so that our responses to life are more likely to be good and right, to be loving like Christ. He is working so that we are less and less likely to respond sinfully and in hurtful ways. He doesn't change who we are. He works to make us the best person we can be, who he created us to be. Now, we get it that the vineyard keeper has to do a lot of work, but what about our part? 
It can feel like the fruit in my life and possibly in yours is a bit sporadic and often not fully formed and sweet. What does it take to produce a steady crop of good fruit? In John 15 verse 4, Jesus uses the vineyard theme again and tells us to remain in him as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You see, it is possible to reject Jesus by rejecting his ongoing work in our lives. To reject him by no longer remaining fully dependent on Jesus like a branch is to the vine. Or to reject his authority as the cornerstone by not aligning our lives with him. Remaining attached to the vine, to Jesus, is about spending time in his presence and his word, but it's also about saying yes to Jesus and his changing work in our lives 24-7. The Israelites were also expected to be a blessing to the nations around them. As a people producing fruit, Jesus also expects us to be a blessing to others so that others can come to know Jesus too. Our words are really important, but just as important are our actions and our character. As we become more like Christ, other people have a better chance of seeing Christ. We're more likely to to respond to others in loving ways and less likely in hurtful and sinful ways. We can also bless others by taking the opportunities that come to talk to them about Jesus. They could choose to reject Jesus or to accept him, but without hearing about Jesus, they might not get that chance to choose. Now, we all know people that are hard to talk to or who have rejected Jesus, but I think we can be a blessing by keeping up our prayers for them. God is loving and patient, not wanting to get anyone to miss out. So let's keep praying. Jesus used the story of the vineyard and the tenants to urge us not to reject him. He warned of the consequences if we do. But he also reminded us that God is patient and loving, giving us multiple chances to turn to him. He wants us to accept Jesus as the central, most important person in our lives, our cornerstone. If we do, the result will be God working in our lives to produce fruit Fruit are lives that change are changed deep down in our character to be more aligned with Christ and lives changed to be a blessing to those around us and to others in this world who don't know Jesus. I'd just like to take a moment now to pray for us. Father God, we praise you because you are so loving and patient with each one of us. We praise you for your outrageous grace that reaches out to us even when we don't deserve it. You care about us all and want us all to accept you. May your grace enable us to say yes to you in areas of our lives. Help us to remain in you, allowing you to change our character, making us more like Christ and a blessing to people who don't have you in their lives. Amen. 
Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.